0: Welcome you here and welcome all the moms here on this special day. You know, it's one of those days that I'm glad that uh, Hallmark actually celebrates because uh, there's a lot of them that, you know, man, I don't get it. You know, Baltic Sea Week. Really? Do I got to buy a card to give to people for Baltic Sea Week or, or the day that dental floss was created? We got, they got cards for that. Let's remember, you know, the day that dental floss was created. But boy, this is one of those great days that we ought to remember. We ought to remember our moms and the significance of moms. Last night, of course, we dedicated a lot of moms and dads and their kids, and we'll do it next hour. We'll do it in the venue also, which, by the way, welcome to those of you over in the venue. Uh, We had a number of gals last night who were actually um, with child they they they're pregnant anybody in this hour you're 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 actually pregnant right now you you're actually you know real close to becoming a, a mom anybody anybody somebody pointing oh oh over here ah there that's what I'm talking about stand up so everybody gets to see it come on stand up there we go yeah look at wow wow I don't know if there was anybody over in the venue, but we got one over here. And I'll, I'll tell you, every time I see a gal with child, I thank the Lord I'm a guy. <laughs> I, I, I just can't even imagine that whole uncomfortable thing I you. Anyway, um, blessings though, because you know I was inside of a, my mother's womb at some moment. I came out and that's a good thing. Aren't, aren't you glad that there are moms that have babies? Um, well, I'm in a really deep hole, and um, <laughs> I think I just better stop talking and just move on. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We, we, we really are. Uh, I want you to know that if you're a brand new believer, we started our follow class in the Fireside Room this past Wednesday night. And if you've given your life to the Lord within the last week, month, six months, maybe within the last year, The very first place we want all of our new believers to go, our new family members, is to what we call the follow class. And you'll notice in your program, there's a phone number that you could call to let us know, hey, I want to come so we can get a book for you. And if you have children, we have child care. I'm actually teaching it in the fireside room. And I think we had about 80 or 90 people in there this past Wednesday. And this week, it's not too late. If you weren't able to sign up or maybe you've been gone, you can come this week and, and be just, just fine, okay? Um, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Knowing God where we're looking at some of the, the great attributes of, of God. We're finding out who God really is. And last week, we looked at God's love. The Bible says in First John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now what does it mean that God is love? I told you last week it means that it's in God's very nature to love. It's in God's very nature to love. In other words, God loves not because he finds some object like human beings worthy of his love... He simply loves because it's in his very nature to love. Which means God's love for you has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are. He simply loves you because it's in his very nature to love and God proved this truth when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Read the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it wasn't because we were good. He came and died when we were bad. Because he loves us Regardless. It's just in his very nature to love. Now, some of you are are here right now and you don't believe in God. You don't want anything to do with God. You've rejected him. But the reality is, because God is love, he loves you anyway. Even though you don't want anything to do with him, even though you don't believe in him, even though you've rejected him, even though you might use his name in vain. As you sit there right now, because it's in God's very nature to love, he loves you. And the cross proves that. He came and died, though we were yet sinners, though we were yet far away from him. Now, I want you to take that that special card out of your program. I I print one of those up each week. And um, it's just a tool that we put in your hands that you might uh, use it to remember all of these great attributes that we're kind of talking about. And as I've told you, I put them together in my little binder here, little ring, and I keep this with me. And we use it as a tool, as a reminder to you. You can use it to help teach your children, your grandkids, your parents, somebody at work, whatever, about who God really is, some of these great attributes of of, of God. Now today, we're going to continue to look at God's love. It's the only attribute that we're going to spend two weeks on. Because there's no other topic in Scripture that I like talking about than God's love. I absolutely love it. When I go to other churches or I speak at conferences, men's things or whatever, usually it's going to be on this topic because I absolutely love talking about the love of God. In in, uh, in Luke chapter 19, there's a wonderful story of how God's love literally changed a man's life. Okay, it's a a great story. But before I read it, I want us to look at one verse in Luke chapter 18, because it's going to set up everything, okay? Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 25, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's just really interesting, isn't it? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich, wealthy person to get into heaven. Now, what exactly is Jesus saying there? Beloved, Jesus is telling us that wealth can be, not always, but can be a huge hindrance to having a relationship with God. Why is that? Why is it so hard for a a wealthy person, a prosperous person to establish a relationship with God? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts, okay? Number one, pride often keeps wealthy people from surrendering their lives over to Jesus Christ. Pride. You see, when you have wealth, it's easy to become prideful, and pride always keeps people... From God. The Bible says that if you want to enter God's kingdom, you have to have the simplicity and the humility of a child. There's got to come from within you an unashamed heart that says, God, I'm sorry for leaving you out of my life. I don't want to live apart from you anymore. I surrender my life to you, God. Please forgive me of all my sin. And pride is always a huge barrier to that kind of heart. Number two, false security often keeps prosperous people from surrendering their lives over to Jesus Christ. Here's the temptation if you're wealthy and everything's going well in your life. You start thinking, my money can buy me out of trouble. You start thinking, you know, my ability can work me out of trouble. My mind can think me out of trouble. My insurance can pay my way out of trouble. I'm covered, you know. So why do I need God? Why do I need God in my life? And there's this sense of false security. Number, number three, false conclusions often keep wealthy people from surrendering their lives over to Jesus Christ. And, and beloved, I want you to know that this one's huge. And here's the thinking behind this one. If I'm so bad, pastor, why is everything in my life so good? If I'm so sinful, how come I've, God's such an incredible 401k. Why do I have a, a big house? Why do I have two big houses? Why do I have fancy cars? Why do I have such a, a great family, good friends? God must really like me. Now, When Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, it blew everybody away. That was a radical statement. Because it was assumed, especially in that culture, but even here now, that the reason you were wealthy was because God really liked you. Your wealth was evidence that God was on your side. I mean, obviously God must be on my side. I got all these houses. I got all these camels. You know, I got all these goats. I got all these servants. Everybody believed that rich people had a front row seat in heaven. In fact, right after Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter 18, his disciples said, Who then can be saved? Man, if rich people don't get into the kingdom of God, what chance do I have as a lowly fisherman? I don't have anything. I'm barely making my mortgage payment in my little apartment. I don't even have a car, you know, I gotta walk to work. If it's hard for a rich guy to get into heaven, what chance do I have? And the reason why the disciples kind of screamed this out was they just had a false conclusion that somehow wealth equaled God's blessing. And it doesn't necessarily. It can. One of the blessings that God may uh, pour out on your life is wealth. But don't make the false assumption or conclusion that somehow wealth does equal God's blessing because it doesn't always mean that. It can, though. Some of you, I know, are, are, are wealthy. And part of that is because God is pouring out his blessing on your life. But just because you have wealth doesn't mean that it's God's blessing. Does that make sense? So when Jesus said this, You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Man, that was a radical statement. Now, the main character in the story I'm now going to read in Luke chapter 19 is a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And he's one of these rich guys that Jesus was just talking about in chapter 18. Okay? He's one of those people that's just going to have a hard time getting into the kingdom of heaven because of his wealth. So the disciples must have been standing on pins and needles waiting to see what was going to happen when Jesus has this one-on-one, up-close-and-personal encounter with this rich man, with this wealthy man named Zacchaeus. Okay, you ready? Let's see what happens. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It's in your notes, or if you have a Bible, you can look at it, or it'll be on the trunks. Bible says Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. He's not a tax collector. He's the tax collector. He's at the top of the heap. And he had become very rich. Rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree behind the road, beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. They had never met. Zacchaeus, quickly come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Let's go have lunch. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house in great excitement and joy. Wow. Imagine that. He just wants to see him. That's all. And Jesus calls him by name. If they'd have had cell phones back there, you know Zacchaeus would have picked up the phone and said, hey, listen, get things cleaned up. Get the food ready. He's coming over. Unbelievable moment. Oh, but there's a dark side to the story here. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Uh oh. (laughs) They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now that is a great story. And in the few minutes that I have, I'm never going to be able to unpack it all. But I do want to share a few thoughts with you. Here you got this guy named Zacchaeus. He hears Jesus is in town and he wants to see him. I'm sure he had heard all kinds of things about him. He's heard that Jesus was a great teacher. He's heard that Jesus was a a man with great power. He's heard that Jesus has actually healed some people. He's heard that Jesus is a a man who's got incredible authority. He's heard that Jesus had ticked off, you know, all the religious leaders. So he simply wants to go see what he looks like. He He just wants to see who this guy is in person. The buzz was going around town. He's coming. He's in Jericho? Oh, man. I I gotta go look at this guy. I just wanna see what he looks like. But he's got a huge problem, and that is everybody hates him. They hate him because he's a crooked tax collector. There are people out there that would love to stick a knife in his back if they had the opportunity. And for him to see Jesus, he's gotta go out and make his way through a huge crowd. He's got to go out into a public place among all the people he's been ripping off over the years as the chief tax collector. But he makes the decision to chance it. He makes the decision to go into a crowded public place, a hostile place for him anyway. I'm sure he was nervous and on edge, always looking around because no one liked him. But seeing Jesus was worth it. Risking his life, risking maybe getting beat up, pommeled, you know. Oh, I didn't see it, Zacchaeus, sorry. Was worth it. So he's hiding behind some tree, darting from one to another, just hoping to somehow get a quick glimpse of Jesus. But he's short, which means he can't see over the people. Man, this guy's got all kinds of problems, doesn't he? <laughs> so he hikes up his robe, and he scampers up a, 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 a tree like a little kid. He's a grown man. He's a businessman. He's got multiple, I'm sure, you know, commercial real estate endeavors in town. Everybody knew who he was. And now you just got this picture of him hiking his robe up, and now he's climbing up a tree. This grown man. Kind of reminds me a little bit when I've been at Disneyland, maybe you've been there with your kids and the parade's coming down, and there's always five billion people in front of you, and you got your four-year-old who can't see, And so what do you do? You hike him up, you put him on your shoulders, and then you're trying to find just any bit of high ground. That's kind of the picture. The street is lined. He just wants to see this man he's heard so much about, but he can't. So here he is, climbed up a tree, and now he's out on a limb over the street, and everybody's looking at him. Everybody gets to see him now. Even if he was trying to kind of stay undercover, darting back and forth behind trees, you know. He's now out, exposed in front of everybody. So I hope you got this picture in your mind. Now, now, now the day probably started like most days for Zacchaeus. I think he rolled out of his big, huge bed, out of his big, huge house, you know, walked into his huge bathroom to brush his teeth and wash his face, you know, and comb his hair or whatever, but when he looks in the mirror on this day, I don't think he likes what he sees. He wakes up, there he is, combing his hair, brushing his teeth, whatever, and he's looking at himself. Years of ripping people off and Taking a huge toll on his life. Years of being an outcast in society had taken its toll. Years of always having to look over his shoulder, wondering if someone was gonna take him out had worn him down. You see, in those days, for a Jew to be a tax collector made him both a thief and a traitor. You were a thief because tax collecting wasn't regulated back then, so you could easily gouge people out of their hard-earned money and then pocket whatever you wanted, and then you would just pass on to the Roman government whatever was left over. And you were a traitor because the tax collectors were Jews collecting taxes for the oppressive Roman government. And what made it even worse, as I said, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was at the top of the heap. So when we find him, we find a very, very wealthy man. And Jesus had just said not long ago, hard for a guy like this to get into the kingdom. Hmm. According to Jesus... Zacchaeus' chances of having his heart changed was slim, to say the least. So what happened? What happened to the heart of Zacchaeus that caused him to change when so many others don't? Well, probably a lot of things, but I'm gonna give you two, okay? Two things that Zacchaeus did that totally changed his life. Number one, Zacchaeus was wise enough to realize that something was missing in his life. Something. Beloved, Zacchaeus had a house full of stuff, but his heart was empty. All his life he had paid attention to power. He had paid attention to position. He had paid attention to portfolios. He knew which, you know, stocks to invest in, which stocks to get out of. He knew which properties to buy. He knew how much rents to charge. That's what he had spent his life doing. He had stocked his house, I'm sure, with beautiful uh, art and beautiful stuff. And and maybe all of his homes were stocked that way. I don't know. Maybe his camels all had power steering. You know, I, I don't know how it all worked. I just know the guy had it all. He'd do anything, literally anything for an extra buck or two. I'm sure he'd even sacrifice his own family to make a few more dollars. And by the way, that hasn't changed. I know a lot of people, man, that have, you know, put in one, two, four, five hours more work, earn a nickel, two more, and lost their families along the way. Zacchaeus had everything that money could buy He was a man, though, that had traded his his eternal soul for prosperity. But on this particular afternoon, everything changed. He was smart enough to realize that something was missing in his life, and it was something that all of his money couldn't buy. He wakes up, he hears Jesus is coming to town. Maybe he's looking around at all of his stuff, goes out into his garage and looks at it all, Thinks about all of his money and something ain't right. I I gotta go look at this guy. I've just gotta go see him. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Boy, isn't that a great question. Zacchaeus had gained a lot, he had gained more than most of us could ever dream but he had lost something along the way. He had lost something that all of his money couldn't buy, and I think it was his soul. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 12, he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. He said there was a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Did he consider giving it away to the poor? No. Did he consider, you know, giving it away, I don't know, to the church? No. What does he do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, friends, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And beloved, I think Zacchaeus looked in the mirror that day And he knew that something was missing in his life. Something wasn't right. He didn't have a rich relationship with God. In fact, I don't think he had any relationship with God whatsoever. And he knew that Jesus somehow was the key to making it right. Which brings us to the second thing that Zacchaeus did that changed his life. Zacchaeus was wise enough to go seek out Jesus. Verse three, once again, says Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass by that way. Here he leaves his house that day and he makes his way downtown and he can't see over the crowd and he's kind of watching this parade walk down the road and he, he looks down and maybe it was in front of one of his buildings he owned already. He knew there was a, a sycamore fig tree down there so he runs down, pulls up his robes, scampers up the tree and now, now here he comes. This wealthy man who had anything you wanted. His house was filled with stuff. And here He comes. Incredible sight, isn't it? Beloved, he went seeking Jesus. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. I thought the Bible said that nobody seeks after God. And you're right. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. No one seeks after God. Nobody. Beloved, nobody is wise enough to seek after God on their own but here's what happens God begins to draw a person to himself God begins to work in a life God begins to tug at someone's heart Bible says in John chapter 6 these are the words of Jesus no one can come to me Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Beloved, when God begins to draw a person, when God begins to tug at a person's life, at that moment, that person has a choice to make. They're either gonna seek out what God is doing in their lives, or they're gonna blow God off and harden their hearts to the the drawing Of God. Beloved, this is what's going on in the life of Zacchaeus. The love of God was drawing him, the the love of God was tugging at his heart, and Zacchaeus made the choice, the wise choice, to find out what was going on within his heart. And he knew that Jesus somehow was the key, and nothing was going to stop him from seeing him. Nothing. He looks in the mirror that day. He senses something's going on in his life. And at that moment, wow, he's got got a choice. I'm either going to harden my heart and say, you know what? No. Or you go, well, I don't know what's going on. But something's happening. Now, what happens next is just really beautiful. Here's Jesus walking down the street. And it says this in verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. They called him by name. Zacchaeus! Now that had to freak him out. You, you, you talking to me? Hey, you're the only guy up in the limb there. And you know what the crowd was thinking. Yes! This Crook is going to get it now. This is the turn or burn sermon we've been waiting for. This notorious sinner is going to get lambasted. This is going to be great. Yes. Hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down? Let's hang out together. I want to get lunch. You can just see the crowd, can't you? me sinner. What are you doing, Jesus? Take him out. Give him the turn or burn. Tell him he's going to hell. Give him a little wrath of God. Not Jesus. Jesus said, he's Zacchaeus. Come on, let's go have lunch. No wonder it tells us that he quickly came down and he just was pumped. He was excited. His heart was full of joy. Man, all I wanted to do was see the guy. What's going on? He knows my name. Who told him about me? And now he wants to come to my house? Oh no, I got all those crummy magazines out. Hey, get them cleaned up. I got stuff out I don't want Jesus to see. Clean out the refrigerator, I got all that beer, you know, get it out of there. He's actually coming to my house. I don't want him to see all my stuff, you know, that ugly crummy stuff I've got. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. This is the Jesus I want you to know. I'm so sorry for those Christians that have given you a portrait of Jesus that he's just this mean, angry guy ready to thump you. This is the Jesus I want you to know. This man's a notorious sinner. Notorious And he's going over to his house to have a lunch. Beautiful. But there's an ugly side of the story too, isn't there? Some people just couldn't imagine how Jesus could be so free with his love. Oh, they understood how Jesus could be free with his love for them. But they just couldn't handle the fact that Jesus was going to freely love this notorious sinner. And they just couldn't handle it. (laughs) They grumbled, complained. I love the picture of Jesus going into this home with this notorious sinner. I love it. I also love the picture of everybody else standing on the outside of this home staring on in disbelief. And here's the question they're asking. Why would Jesus go into the home of such a notorious sinner? Why would he go there? Hey, just meet with him here on the sidewalk. Don't go into his home. Don't go into the, you know, the, the lion's den. Don't go there. And the answer is Jesus will enter wherever he's welcome. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 3, there's this beautiful picture. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and I will share a meal together as friends, the Bible says. Isn't that a beautiful picture? There is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God who is love. And he stands at the door of your heart, knocking. And if you invite him in, you know what? He'll come in. Even if you're a notorious sinner, (laughs) he'll come in. Jesus will enter wherever he's welcome. Of all the people in the crowd that day, you almost have to scratch your head and think, why did Zacchaeus pop up on Jesus' radar screen? Why did Jesus make Zacchaeus the object of his love at that moment? After all, he was the worst man in the crowd. He was the the crummiest sinner in the crowd. Why Zacchaeus? I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was the hungriest man in the crowd. Jesus knew that he was the most open man in the crowd. Jesus knew he was the most ready to have his heart and his life changed by God's amazing love in the crowd. And that's exactly what happened. We don't know what they discussed over lunch, but whatever it was, this lost sheep found his shepherd. And this shepherd had found his lost sheep because Zacchaeus emerged from this lunch, a brand new man. It was a transformational moment. As Jesus walked down this crowded street, because he's God, he knew everybody's heart And he looked up, there's a guy. He's knocking, he's knocking. And you know what, the same thing's true here right now. God is able to just kind of peruse this crowd, he's able to look at all of those of you that are in the venue, and he knows whose heart is open to him. He's been drawing some of you, hasn't he? You've sensed the tugging in your heart, haven't you? Some of you are here like Zacchaeus and you're hungry. You've opened your heart to him. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will enter any heart. Any heart as long as he's welcome. Look at verse 8. A, it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, and let me tell you, he had. <laughs> I'll give them back four times as much. Unbelievable. I want you to know something. That, that is an incredible text. You had to circle that, underline it in your Bible. That, that, that right there ought to give you Goosebumps. Right there, we see a man whose life was instantaneously changed by the love of God. Here's this greedy, conniving, rip-off traitor giving half of all he had away to the poor. Zacchaeus' servants, man, probably fainted right there on the spot. Standing before them was a brand new creation. This is a great, great moment. One Bible scholar said this, right here, the camel passed through the needle's eye and Jesus stood and cheered. Isn't that great? Right there, the camel went through the eye of the needle. And Jesus was there cheering. I get goosebumps when I think about that. That's the Jesus I want you to know. Christian, that's the Jesus I want you to tell others about. Those of you that are here and you don't know the Lord, that's the Jesus you need to know. He's so awesome. He's just incredible. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. I don't want anybody here to think Zacchaeus was saved because he gave back a bunch of money, okay? Because he wasn't. He was saved because he gave his life over to Jesus Christ and his generosity was simply evidence of the fact that he had really repented. Okay, I want to make sure that's clear. He wasn't saved because he did something. What he did was simply evidence of the fact that he had repented. For those of us that know the Lord, for those of us that know this Jesus who saves notorious sinners like me, and like you, whether you want to admit it or not, it is a joy to give. It's a joy to take our one life and give it back to the Lord. It's a joy to serve Him. It's a joy to give. We don't serve and give because that saves us. We, we serve and obey and give as evidence of the fact that we are saved, you see? Now, let me quickly say this. As I said, when you dig into this passage, you discover there's a a dark part of the story. While one person is being forgiven, you know, Zacchaeus, and his past is being washed away and he's being reconciled with God, there are others who are angry that Jesus would be so free with his love. Man, the people were displeased. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Beloved, this is an ugly scene. I believe that as Jesus, as I said, walked towards Zacchaeus, this crowd began to think to themselves, okay, it's about time this guy you know, got it in the chops. They were convinced that Jesus was gonna you know, give Zacchaeus a tongue lashing for all of his sin. And when Jesus said, "Hey, come down, let's have lunch." That this crowd was livid. Absolutely livid. They couldn't believe that Jesus would be so 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 loving to such a sinful man. You see some people believe that God just sent Jesus into the world to make good people better. And that's not true. We were all sinners, the Bible says. All of us. Some may have been notorious sinners. But we were all sinners. God didn't send Jesus here to live an incredible life and die a horrible death to somehow make good people better. Verse 10 says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save what was lost. We were lost. We were sinful. In other words, Jesus came to save gooped up people like me. Jesus came to to save those who don't have it all together like me. He came to save the crooks of the world. He came to save the liars of the world. He came to save the drunks of the world. He came to save the angry of the world. That's why he came. And the story is just a beautiful example of that. So off goes the crowd in one direction, griping and grumbling, and off goes Zacchaeus with Jesus in the other direction, have lunch together. Zacchaeus' life was changing. His heart was changing. Why? Because he had opened his life up to Jesus. You see, his whole adult life, he had made one bad decision after another, one wrong move after another, but that afternoon, he did two things right, and they totally changed his life. He was honest about his life. He knew that something was missing, and then he went and sought out Jesus. Beloved, this story screams, don't ever give up on somebody. Don't ever give up hope on those you know you know and that you love. I mean, if you would have taken a survey of the people of Jericho that day and asked, hey, who's the most unlikely man to have his life you know, made new? Who's the most unlikely person in town to be changed by God? It would have been a unanimous vote that rip off tax-collecting Zacchaeus. There's no hope for him. He's a notorious sinner. Nobody would have thought that afternoon when it began in Jericho, that Zacchaeus would emerge from this lunch a brand new man. Nobody. Listen, Big Valley Grace is filled with people who just five years ago or three years ago or two days ago or whatever would have said, you'll never catch me in church, not me. You'll never catch me giving my life to Jesus Then something began to happen within their soul. They sensed that God was drawing them, that Jesus was calling their name. And like Zacchaeus, they had a choice to make. I'm either going to just harden my heart or I'm going to investigate. What is this Jesus about? What is it? I believe with all my heart that there are some of you here today who maybe five years ago, two years ago, maybe last week, maybe yesterday, you would have said, you know what, I'll, I'll never be caught dead in church. Not me, but here you are. Your mom drug you in. It's mom's day. And say, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Oh, go. Okay. Here you are. And I believe that within some of your souls, maybe in this room, maybe over in the venue, you know what, like Zacchaeus, something's happening. You're sensing God drawing you. You're sensing, you know, there's something missing in my life maybe. You you can't really put your finger on it. Listen, this story is proof that God cares deeply about people, about you. And he's ready to come over to your house and be a part of your life. God hasn't given up on you. Others may have given up on you. Your family may have given up on you. Your spouse may have given up on you. You know, your parents may have given up on you. Your kids may have given up on you, but God hadn't. He's looking up in the tree right now, and he's calling your name. That's what he's doing. I don't care what your life's been like. I don't care because God doesn't care. The Bible says that God is love. It's in his very nature to love. And wow, do we see an incredible illustration in this story of God pouring out his love to a notorious sinner. He's knocking on some of your hearts right now saying, hey, why don't you let me in? And like Zacchaeus, I'll come in. Oh, there's going to be Christians who won't like it. There'll be Christians who will grab you and all of a sudden give you a tongue lashing over all your sin and all your junk. I know, I I know. But let this story ring true in your heart right now. This is the Jesus I want you to know. Oh, Jesus will begin to do a work in your life. He'll do a work in your life. And there'll always be a Christian to come along and, try to move you faster than probably Jesus wants you to move. But you're seeing the heart of God in this story. Look, Zacchaeus could have said, no, no, Jesus, I appreciate the invite, but I'd rather stay up in this tree. He could have done that. And by the way, most people do do that when God draws them. The Bible says that that narrow is the road that leads to life. Few people get on that road, but wide is the road that leads to destruction. That road is filled up, and it's not because God isn't drawing people. It's because when God draws people, they choose to just dig in, and they don't want any part of it. They harden their hearts. And some of you, I know God is drawing you, but you're gonna harden your heart, I know. Zacchaeus could have hardened his heart. He said, I ain't coming out of the street, no way. I'm not giving up control of my life to anybody. But he didn't. He scurvied down that tree as fast as he could and said, let's go, come on. And his life was forever changed. And that's the decision maybe some of you have to make, maybe over in the the venue. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we have a room over here called the altar room. Let's just make that Zacchaeus' living room. And some of you, you know what? I'm going to ask you when we're done praying that you would just get up from your seat, wherever you're at, and there's an altar room over in the venue, and our spiritual leaders will be in there. The elders and the pastors of the church, and they're over in the venue, too. And you could go in and say, man, I don't know what's going on. I, I sense the Lord is doing something. I sense dr- uh, something's missing in my life. I don't know how you will word it. And we'd love to tell you about Jesus. We'd love to pray with you that you would invite Jesus into your life, that your life would be changed too, just like Zacchaeus' was. And yeah, you can get out of here and think, man, I got a Mother's Day thing I got to go to Look, there's nothing more important than this moment right here. And if you sense God is calling you, drawing you, you need to make your way into the altar room here or over in the venue. Please. A lot rides on this. God is knocking. His love is just waiting. He wants to love you. And if you're a Christian here, I've prayed a lot that this story here would give you a whole new set of lenses as it relates to the Jesus that we serve. That when we get a chance to tell people about Jesus, may this be the Jesus we tell them about. Yeah, there's a moment where he knocks over a few tables and we see him getting angry. But it seems like that's where we always want to go first the angry Jesus. The Jesus who's mad at everybody. The Jesus who's ready to poke everybody in the eye, you know. The Jesus we cower in front of. This is the Jesus that people are drawn to, I think. The Jesus who loves us and cares about us, even though we're sinners, even though we're notorious sinners, you see. Why don't you close your eyes, and Pastor Scott's going to pray.